Listen to the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That's, a, of course, a famous passage of Scripture. It comes right out of Psalms. In fact, it is the very first Psalm, and it sort of sets the tone for the whole book of Psalms. We are starting a new series today called Wisdom for the Journey. There are five books in the Bible that are called Wisdom Literature. They begin with the book of Job, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Some people call it Old Testament poetry because most of these uh, books are written in Hebrew poetry. We'll come to understand that a little later. It's a little hard to understand if you don't understand how it's laid out. But hopefully if you come to understand that Hebrew poetry, you'll get more out of the wisdom literature. You know, wisdom is important. Wisdom is more than knowledge. You know what knowledge is? Knowledge is information. It's just a bunch of information. But wisdom is the good sense to know how to use the information you have to live your life. And godly wisdom is all about doing things the way God wants us to do them. In this psalm that I read today, there's a contrast between two paths you can take in life. You can take the path of the wicked or you can take the path of the wise. Those are the ones that have the godly wisdom. The path of righteousness versus the path of wickedness. Over in Cades Cove up in the Smoky Mountains, there's a graveyard there. I usually talk about this at a funeral service at a graveside. And there is a tombstone there. And on that tombstone, there's an inscription that says, As I now lie, so you will be. Prepare thyself to follow me. Now, I was up there one day looking at that old graveyard. Somebody had taken a stick and put it up and taped a 3x5 card to it right beside that tombstone. And on that 3x5 card, it said, To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Now, you know, which way you're going to go determines the path that you take in this life. Which way are you headed? That's a question I want to raise today. Which way are you headed? This, this psalm gives us some strong advice about the journey. If we break this psalm down, and we will, we'll learn, we're going to learn some things about Hebrew poetry today and how to interpret it. You know, it's not like our English poetry. You know, uh, some of our English poetry is 
uh, we call it nursery rhymes or it's, it's just kind of cute. There's an old poem I love to quote for the grandkids. It goes like this. A skunk sat on a stump. The skunk thought the stump stunk, but the stump didn't stink. The skunk stunk. And my grandkids get a big kick out of that, and they try to say it, but they, they get tongue-tied and they can't say it. Probably the most famous poem or nursery rhyme of all. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Now, our English poetry usually has rhyme in it. Hebrew poetry doesn't do that. Now, Hebrew poetry is also wisdom literature. It, it brings to us great value of, of God's Word and helps us understand how to live wise. Some of our poetry does that. One of my favorite poems is The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where, the, where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other just as fair, and having perhaps a better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the passing there, had warned them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black, Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You know, the, the poem, the theme of that poem or the message of that poem is really about the path that you choose in life is going to make a difference in your life. But Hebrew poetry is a little different. It doesn't rhyme like our poetry. But let's learn a little something about Hebrew poetry today. There are really two main characteristics of Hebrew poetry. One is it uses a lot of figurative Language. The other is that he uses parallelism. Let's think about what figurative language is. First of all, there's a lot of metaphor. Psalm 23.1 begins with a metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the Lord is not really a shepherd. He doesn't tend a flock of sheep. But, but it, it helps us understand some about what the Lord is like. Another... Uh, form of figurative language is simile. Find that in Psalm 52, 8. I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. Anytime you have the word like or as something, it's a simile. Or what about hyperbole? This is used a lot in the wisdom literature. Hyperbole is really over-exaggeration to make a point. Example of that would be Psalm 18, 29. With your help, I can advance against a troop or a barrier. With my God, I can scale a wall. It's saying I can do something that I couldn't do without God. Or personification. That is where you give human characteristics to something not human. For example, Psalm 98.8. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains 
sing together for joy. Now, we know rivers don't have hands to clap and, and mountains don't sing, but we understand the worship of the Lord, and that's what it's uh, sort of talking about. Then there's parallelism. So there's a lot of figurative language which brings images, and then there's parallelism. All the Hebrew poetry always sets lines together. And uh, there's a relationship between those lines. And one form of that is called anthetic parallelism. Uh, Psalm 1-6, which we just read, is an example. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You see, those two lines are talking about two opposite things. It's talking about righteous and it's talking about wicked. That's anthetic parallelism. Then there's emblematic parallelism. And in this, the first line is usually a simile, and the second line has a literal meaning. For example, Psalm 103:11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his, is our love, is his love for those who fear him. Uh, or you have synthetic parallelism. That's where the second line completes the thought of the first line or, or expands that thought a little bit. An example of that is Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So the second line sort of expands the first line. And then you have synonymous parallelism. That's where both lines express the same thought, except they do it a little differently. Psalm 15, 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? So it's talking about who, who can live, Lord, in the presence of you, the sanctuary or the holy hill. Sort of expands on that. You know, Hebrew poetry is really wisdom literature. It brings God's wisdom to us in a, in a creative way. Now, for the Hebrews, wisdom was a little different than our wisdom. You know, we think about wisdom. We think about knowing how to, uh, to live life in a good way. But to the Hebrews, it was also about craftsmanship. It was about knowing how to do things. Hebrew wisdom is really about having the willingness to live the way that God calls you to live as you go about living this life on this earth, as you go about your journey in life, of living it that way. And what we need to recognize is this Hebrew wisdom poetry is not always factual. For example, Psalm 90.10 says, A man's years will be 70, 80 if he has the strength. That doesn't mean everybody in the world is going to leave between 70 and 80 years. We know that's not true. But it's a generality that the Lord gives. And in fact, the average age of the person in America, I think, is somewhere around 78, which falls right in between those years. Not everybody lives that long. Not everybody dies at 80. Some people live longer. But there are some, some general principles about life that we gain from this. It is poetic language, but it's also practical. It gives us ideas about how to live this life. And it is important, just as important, the Bible says, as the law is or as the prophets are. In fact, in Jeremiah 
18.18, it says, For the teaching of the law by the priest will not be lost, nor will the counsel of the wise. It's talking about the wisdom literature. And then it says, Nor the word from the prophets. So it puts the counsel of the wise, this wisdom literature, right up there with the law and the prophets. It is God's word to us. It is some general practical advice about how we can live our lives here on this earth. Over the course of this series, we're going to look at a couple of three psalms the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to look at uh, each of the other books and talk a little bit about the message of those books and how we can live those to help us live our life for God. So if you have a Bible, or maybe you pull it up on your phone, turn to Psalm chapter 1. And we'll begin today with this psalm. Uh, you know, the psalms are some of the most loved portions of Scripture. There are several authors for the psalm. We believe that King David compiled this and put it all together. There are some 73 psalms that he put his name to. Uh, there are other authors, Asaph, uh, sons of Korah. Solomon, I believe, wrote two of them. Moses, one. Uh, Fifty of the Psalms are anonymous. They don't say who wrote them. And some believe David wrote many of them because they're very similar to others that he wrote. King David was king of Israel from 1010 B.C. to 970 B.C. So for about 40 years he was king. And we believe that during that time he put together this book of Psalms that was used in worship at the temple by the Hebrew people or at the tabernacle the temple wasn't built yet during David's days but in their worship they used this psalm book let's read and break this down let's look at the first three verses again and we'll break this down blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but those whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditate on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So let's think about this for a minute. What he's talking about here is the way of the righteous. Now, he doesn't mention the word righteous until verse 6 at the end, where he contrasts the two. But in reading that, you realize that he is talking here about the way of the righteous. He begins with what they don't do. You know, what is righteousness? It doesn't mean perfect. Nobody ever lived on this earth except Jesus who lived the perfect life. But the righteous are those that seek to live by God's standard. They seek to pattern their life after Jesus Christ. They, they seek to please God in the way they live. You know, uh, God revealed Himself in the person of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of what He calls it here, the law of the Lord, or God's Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And those that believe in Jesus are made righteous by His spilt blood on the cross. Uh, belief in Him, faith in Him, brings about our cleansing by forgiveness of sin. He paid the penalty through his death. But I want you to notice here as we go through this how the, the author sets this contrast 
between the righteous and the wicked. First of all, the righteous, they don't follow the path of the wicked. He uses the word stand or, or walk or sit. They don't follow the way the wicked goes. The, they don't pattern their lives after the ungodly people. And what about that word wicked? What does that mean? You know, we usually think of wickedness as being the big, bad, ugly things. But he also uses the word sinners and mockers. They all sort of mean the same thing. A mocker is someone who ridicules God, who, who says, ah, that God is no good, or that God's not real. Uh, sinners, you know, that's an important word that we need to understand. All sin is wicked. Most people don't think about that. You know, we like to talk about our little, our little white lies, our little simple sins, and we don't think that's wicked, but in God's eyes it is wicked. It is evil. We need to have a good understanding of wickedness and sin. You know, I, I learned this week that the Oxford Junior Dictionary had taken the word sin out of their dictionary. It's a, it, it, it's a dictionary for younger kids, and they had taken the word out. And the reason they gave is they said that the word has fallen into disuse. It is no longer recognized by the younger generation. There are other synonyms, they said, that can be used in place of sin. Indiscretion, lapse of judgment, accident, or mistake. Yet, those words don't really convey the same idea that the word sin does. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we're all mistakers. It says in the Bible we are sinners. So we need to understand that word sin. And sin is really transgression against God. It is not just a mistake we make against ourselves or against someone else. It is a transgression against God. We live in a world where people try to redefine things to make them not seem so bad. They even try to redefine what the blessed life is. And this passage, this psalm, is telling us that the one who follows God is the one who is blessed. You know, we live in a world where people write, uh, try to write sin out of life so they don't have a guilty conscience. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you read on ahead in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. What is due us for our sin is death. And whether we have an understanding of what sin is or not, it's still sin in God's eyes. And you know, sin can be, of course, what you do, but sin can even be what you think. And sin can be what you say. And we need to be very careful. Sin can even be when you fail to do something that God has called you to do. Sin is literally anything that goes against the will of God. And we need to really understand, we can't take sin out of our dictionary. God calls us to work not to sin in this life. So don't follow the path of the wicked. But look at the contrast that he sets in the next verse, verse 2. They find joy in God's Word. Notice it says they delight on the law of the Lord or they meditate 
on the law of the Lord day and night. Now, there's a little bit of that hyperbole there, over-exaggeration. You can't just spend your whole life just meditating on the law of the Lord all night long. We understand this is poetry, but what that means is you're thinking about it all the time. You're thinking about how you can live the way that God has called us to live, and you use this literature to guide you as you go on your life's journey. Then if we look at verse 3, we'll find that uh, the, the righteous will flourish like a healthy tree, it says. Verse 3. There's a simile. We're not really like a tree, but a tree that is planted by streams of water flourishes. You know, all trees pretty much need to flourish is some good soil and some water. And you put a tree by a river, there's going to be good soil there unless the water is polluted. And it's going to have plenty of water and it's going to flourish. It's going to have green leaves and it's going to produce uh, fruit. So, he's saying here, this is the way of the righteous. But then look at verse 4 and 5. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So here he talks about the way of the wicked. You know, those who are wicked are those who do not recognize God. They don't accept Jesus Christ. They don't strive to live for them. They want to go their own way. They are the sinners, as the Bible often calls them. Notice what it says about them. They will be discarded. He uses figure, figurative language there. calls them chaff. Now, you've got to understand uh, what a wheat farmer does. Uh, they gather up the wheat. They harvest it. And then uh, on a small scale, they would pound that on, maybe lay it on a rock, and a flat rock, and have a board and pound that weed. Uh, on a larger scale, they would have their animals walk on it. And that was called threshing. And what that would do is break the kernel of the grain of the wheat away from the husk and the, and the, the skins around the, the grain and, and the stalks and all that, and it would break it all up. And then they would take a winnowing fork, or if it was a small bunch, they would just toss it up into the air on a windy day. The wind would blow the lighter chaff away, but the heavier grain would fall down. And eventually, you take that winnowing fork, kind of like a pitchfork, and toss that up into the air, and eventually the wind blows away all the bad stuff. And it leaves the good grain there on your threshing floor. In fact, the... Uh, John the Baptist even spoke of Jesus about that. And he, he said of Jesus, he, uh, he's coming, and uh, imagery was with his winnowing fork in hand to separate the good from the evil, the righteous from the ungodly. Now the thing you need to know about the chaff is that they would gather that up and burn it after they finished the threshing process. So the the chaff will be discarded one day. Second, the wicked, they will not be prepared for the final judgment. If you look at the first part of verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That's the day of the Lord. 
That's the day that Jesus returns. And on that day, it's going to be a great day for many people. For all those who place their faith in, in Jesus Christ, that's going to be a phenomenal day. But those who have not, that's going to be a horrible day. Jesus gives a parable in Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats that he will separate on that day. The sheep are the righteous, and the goats are the wicked. And he says of the goats, there in Matthew 25, Depart from me, you who are cursed, and to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, they won't be ready when Jesus returns. And then look at verse 5b. The wicked, they will not join the righteous in eternity. You know, it is going to be a glorious day when Jesus returns for many. For those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, who seek to live for Him and follow Him. But for those who don't, it's not going to be a good day. This psalm is reminding us of that. Now, I don't like to be negative, but this is what the Bible teaches. You know, they are bound for a place of torment where there will be, the Bible says, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I know often people say, how could a good, loving God do that to people? But it's their choice. God gives people every choice to believe in Him and to follow Him. And they choose not to believe or follow God. So He sends them to a place where He will not be present. And that's what that place is like, where there is no God. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's what the absence of God is like. You know, the psalmist closes out this psalm in verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That's an antithetic parallelism. It contrasts two ways. And that leads us to our connection. The journey toward righteousness leads to blessing. The journey toward wickedness leads to destruction. We want wisdom for the journey that we call life. I don't know how the Lord could make His offer any clearer that He wants to be on your side and He wants you on His side. He loves you. He cares for you. And then as we go through this uh, study, we'll see the, the wisdom literature uh, offers us advice on how to live for God and gives us guidance for life's journey. You know, back in my younger days, not so much just my younger days, I still like to listen to good old rock and roll music. When I had my motorcycle, I used to listen to it often in my headphones as I rode. There's an old song it's called Stairway to Heaven. You probably have heard it. That's supposedly the number one rock and roll song of all time. But there's a line in that song that always stood out. You know, it talks about a stairway to heaven. And even the author of that song, Robert Plant, said, I really don't know what it means, but it has something to do with going the way of greed. There's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold. And many people in this world put self first and they don't follow the path that leads to God. They want to follow the path that leads to their own ideas and their own joy. But in that song, there is a line and it says this. 
Yes, there are two paths you can go by. But in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. So if you're not following the path of the righteous, you can make that decision today. And you can follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, and that will take you to the way of righteousness and one day the way of reward in the Lord himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for the different kinds of literature that you've put in your Bible. It's all your word, but some of it comes to us in a different way. And, and this Hebrew poetry you've given us to really make us think and make us seek out your message. Help us as we strive to learn how to get this wisdom that we can take with us on this journey we call life. And we pray today, Father, for your guidance, your direction, your Holy Spirit to go with us. We're bound to make mistakes, but this wisdom literature will certainly help us as we go about our business in this world to become more and more on the path that you would have us go. In Jesus' strong name, I pray and praise. Amen.